All right. Well, before we jump in, I'm going to continue our series, We Are Vineyard, and we're talking this week about everyone gets to play. Uh, And if you've not heard that phrase before, we'll define it for you. But let's take just a minute and just pray and just invite the Holy Spirit uh, to come as we get ready to go into the message. So, Jesus, we just welcome you here. We know that you're present already, but we would just ask that you would come and teach us through your word and through the things that you've given me that I've, I've prepared uh, with your help. Would you just meet with us today? Would you be present in a way that's tangible and real? Would you encounter us so that not only can we leave this place saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord, but that perhaps we would get in touch with your hope today, that we would get in touch with your mission today, that we would leave this place a little different than when we came in the door. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so everyone gets to play. Again, we've been looking at uh, sort of distinctives that help us define or sort of label, if you will, who we are as vineyard people. And we've talked through several of these, and, and it's all through a, a kingdom lens. So we've said multiple times we are kingdom people first. And we've also said, you know, we need the whole church. We're going to actually look in the last week of this series, our distinctive, um, which has been phrased a few different ways over the time, over the years, but we've simply called it plays well with others because we do have that as a value. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to teach that right now because that that's later, but I thought what a great place to end this sort of series of distinctives that we're labeling who we are and understanding our identity and what we're about and why we do certain things that we do, but we can't ever do that outside of the context of, but we also want to play well and cooperate with others because we don't have a monopoly on the kingdom, right? Like we are are one uh, distinct part, just as you each individually are, are individual parts of this local body, this local body is one part of the worldwide uh, Church of Jesus Christ. So this week, everyone gets to play. Now this, to me, is, is fun, um, and I love Dave's joke about the kazoos. It's like, that's probably not too far off from some of the things we might do. If you've been around the vineyard very long, uh, you might get the sense we don't always take ourselves too seriously, and I think that's good. We take... Uh, the Word of God really seriously. We, we think that's important, but we just don't need to take ourselves too seriously. And I hope to sort of paint a picture for you as we look at everyone gets to play today that really what we're describing in this kingdom lifestyle, now, this doesn't mean that it's not hard sometimes. It doesn't mean that we're always in the good mood and everything's, you know, sunshine and rainbows, as I like to say. But hopefully there are at least moments and times and seasons where it really does feel like playing, where it feels like it's a privilege that I get to participate in Jesus's kingdom mission here on the earth. And it's not purely out of obligation. It's actually a privilege. It's an opportunity. And, and, and I get to play because I get to bring my unique flavor, my personality, 
and actually see that expressed while still cooperating with everyone else. So before we dive in too far, uh, I want to look, and this scripture will be up there, Acts chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 34, and we're just going to read about four verses. Peter says, uh, he replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. How many of you think that's, that's probably good news, right? Because it's like, depending on who else is in the room, I might not be at the top of the list. So, you know, it's like maybe I wouldn't make the cut, but God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, this is Peter's, this is talking about um, the, the message that started with Israel, then comes to the Gentiles next, of which I, I don't want to make assumptions, but most of us here are probably not of Jewish lineage. So that Gentiles, that would be us, right? And so it was for, for us as well. Going on to verse 37, you know, he's saying, what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, we've talked about this before, but we can't miss what what precedes and follows where it says Jesus went around. Now, this goes back. We already talked about doing the stuff. That, that's what he's talking about here. Doing good, healing all who are oppressed by the devil. And we could expound that out and list all the other categories. But I want to draw your focus to what immediately precedes and follows Jesus doing the stuff. First of all, it said that God was anointed. Je- Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, if we understand again that Jesus is our example, he is our, our pattern, we're to pattern our lives after him. And everything that he shows us in the way he lived his life here on the earth is an invitation for us to step into those same things. And so in order for Jesus to go and do the stuff, he was anointed by God. That same thing is available to us. And then it says, of course, after that God was with him. That idea of that intimate relationship that when God uh, anoints you or calls you or tasks you with participating in his kingdom mission, he doesn't sort of give you instructions and push you out the door and say, see you when you get back, kid. No, he actually goes with you. And so this is another reason that it's actually exciting that everyone gets to play because you can bring your unique self, but you don't have to do it alone. God is with you. He's enabling you because, now we're not going to dig real deep into this, but like when God anoints you, then he's going to provide the resources needed to accomplish what he's called you to, and he's going to be with you, continuing to empower you, to enable you to be able to do the thing that he's asked you to do. Jesus did four things. If I were to take this and kind of parse it out for our purposes today, there's four specific things that I think Jesus did. Jesus welcomed, Jesus healed, Jesus discipled, and Jesus commissioned. 
So we, there's a number, uh, and we don't have time today to go to every single uh, reference for all of these points, but we could read numbers of stories about how Jesus welcomed people, people of uh, diverse backgrounds, people of diverse ages. Jesus was a person that was welcoming, and that's one of our values here at Vineyard is that we want to be people that truly welcome those who don't look like us, those who don't think like us. We want to set our table in a way that people of many different shapes and sizes uh, are, are welcome to come to our table. Also says that Jesus healed. Now those stories are, are, you know, we could probably spend the next three hours looking at the healing ministry of Jesus and those different stories. And I don't have to convince you folks here, we, we believe in that. And we believe that, again, Jesus' pattern is one to follow. And so we know that John tells us we will do the same and greater works. And so we are called to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus, to continue that today in the power of the Holy Spirit and with God's help. Jesus also discipled. Now, I like to say a disciple is a follower and a student. And so that's that process of patterning our lives. That's like, how are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Uh, he's made us in his image, but the way that we walk it out, the way that we live our life, a disciple of Jesus is one who is following him, recognizing him as Lord, uh, being a student of his. In other words, being vulnerable and open enough to say, Jesus Anything in me that's like not from you, I give you permission to change it. I, I open myself up in vulnerability and say, I'm your student, so you can teach me, you can mold me, you can change me, because I want to look more like you. And I loved uh, the, the church that we were a part of just prior to uh, moving back here to Illinois. Our mission statement was helping people become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. Because that's really what it takes. Like you can't become all that God has made you to be if you don't fully surrender and let him do the work. Like it's not within our power. I can't do enough good deeds or, you know, share the gospel with enough people to like attain self-righteousness. It's like totally outside of the realm of, of what I'm capable of. Only with God's help can I, can I attain that. And then the last thing is Jesus commissioned. Now, again, this is maybe not a real common word in our everyday uh, cultural context. But Jesus commissioned in that he tasked people, he sent them out, he gave them a work to do, and then released them to do it. This is really, really important. And we've looked many times at, at what's referred to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, just before Jesus leaves. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go. And if I can paraphrase, do all the things that I've taught you. Baptize people, which we've taught before, is, is not just about the act of water baptism, but it, it's being immersed in his name. Like becoming fully immersed in Jesus, becoming more like him, and then teaching uh, those disciples that you're making all the things that I've taught you. This way of life is the way that I like to say it. Because it's not just a list of commands or rules or sort of moral guidelines. It's a way of life. And it's important that we think about that 
that that's what Jesus has called us to. He's not called us to a social club or uh, simply issuing us what was commonly referred to as fire insurance. You know, it's like if, if we sign up for this club and, and we do some good things, you know, then, well, then I, I know, you know, my eternity is going to be better off than if I didn't. That's like woefully underplaying uh, what Jesus has called us and invited us to. He's invited us to a whole different way of life. Entirely different. It's like altogether different. And, and we'll, we'll explore that um, at a later time. I want to just share this this sort of thesis statement for our perspective on uh, everyone gets to play. We believe that anyone can do the work of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to pause here. Uh, back in the day, I uh, for uh, some of my family members were heavily involved in Southern gospel music. Now, I don't have anything against Southern gospel. I, there are many songs that I know, and love. it's not my favorite genre like to still listen to. But I always loved, there was one particular group uh, that had a song, which kind of makes me chuckle, but it was all about... Uh, like when we read the Bible, and, and the course was, it means just what it says. Now, we know when we think about that, it's like there are lots of things, you know, in here that, that aren't that black and white, right? Like there's lots of things that uh, sort of require interpretation. And that's where, that's where we get all our, our disagreements and, you know, tens of thousands of denominations. is how we interpret the words that are in here. But there are some things, as we talked about when we looked at the main and the plain, there are some fundamental themes that it's like, it means just what it says. It doesn't necessarily, not everything in Scripture requires sort of a special interpretation. Well, I'm not meaning to overemphasize this, but what, what Wimber had distilled down into this phrase, everyone gets to play, it means just what it says. Everyone means everyone. So we believe, therefore, that anyone can do the work of the kingdom. We don't have, like, just an elite or a set of superstar leaders. We are all commissioned, as we just talked about, sent out, given a task, men, women, children of every background. Men, women, and children of every background. Now, again, I feel like I'm opening a lot of different... Uh, potential uh, sidetracks or cans of worms, depending on how you look at it. But this is part of what uh, informs our value here at Vineyard, uh, both for women in ministry and our value for kids and youth. Because if anyone means anyone, then we're not going to chop two-thirds out, right? Like, I, I, I don't know how else to say this, but... Ministry, as is, is done in the kingdom, is not uh, just for uh, men. It's just not. And, and we could go through, and, and I have resources. If that's a topic that you know, you're wondering about or wrestling with, I have a lot of resources I can point you to that I don't have time to go in today. But we believe that it's going to take everyone to accomplish the thing that Jesus has called us to. And so we don't want to sideline people based on their gender or based on their age. We actually, actually believe that everyone can do this work. So one more point on this before we go on. 
one of the ways that we try to define this when we're thinking about you know who, who's who's invited, uh, and it's everyone. The primary qualifiers for ministry are calling, gifting, and character. Calling, gifting, and character. And that opens it up, right? Because it's not simply based on you've attained a certain age or you are a certain gender, but it's who has God called, who has he gifted, and in whom has he developed the character required to support that calling and to live out that gifting. And and, and we can't underestimate, I'm going to try to not chase the rabbit here, but we in the church sometimes have become too fascinated. This is one of these tensions. We need all three in conjunction. Sometimes in the church, especially in America, because of our fascination with superstar leaders, with elite, with celebrity culture, we have sometimes sometimes overemphasized gifting and ignored character. You need both. And I have a personal leadership philosophy and this will be good news to some of you, and maybe, but I would rather have a person with solid integrity and character who has a lower level of gifting than a much higher gifted person who, who lacks in character. I've seen it blow up too many times. And, and I, I've talked to you about this concept before, but there's a, there's a reality to, you know, those gifts do come from God. But what God intends to be a blessing, both to you and those around you, can become a curse if you don't allow him in vulnerability the process to develop the character required. In other words, what's intended to, if you can visualize this with me, if those gifts from heaven were like something tangible that you could like put on your shoulders and carry, character is like the strength training in in your physical body. And if you've not done that strength training, you're not going to be able to bear up under the weight of that gifting and of that calling. And so we can't neglect one for the other. We need all three of these together. But the good news is none of those things exclude us, again, on both ends of the spectrum. We tell the kids in kids' church all the time, there's no junior Holy Spirit. And you're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. Now, does that mean it looks exactly the same as it does for someone at a different stage in life? No, but they're invited. They can participate. They can do the kingdom things. And the same is true on the other end of the spectrum. You don't age out of the kingdom. You don't reach a point where suddenly you're no longer useful. Everyone is invited, called, and needed. So let's, let's, let's keep these intentions together. Calling, gifting, and character are the primary qualifiers for ministry. Now, I want to talk about something else for just a minute. And this is sort of a working theory, so give me a little leeway if not all the language is is put together. But I think that there, again, if we look at the spectrum of Christianity uh, across America and all the different flavors and ways, it would be safe to say... uh, in contrast to our values for everyone gets to play, there are many contexts where it's not true that everyone gets to play because we have what I call sort of the holy man syndrome. You know, that some superstar or elite leader is like the primary vehicle through which God will work. And so in that case, the the primary leader or pastor uh, gets 
elevated or put on a pedestal because that's who God's speaking through, that's who he's using. Well, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I've been thinking about this, and I just wanted to share a little bit of this. I think if I could oversimplify it, there are two kinds of people. And we, we do need both. But we're not all going to be able to... Uh, let me back up and say it this way. If that was our model, I think it sidelines a lot of people. Because we can't all attain that, right? We can't all become superstar, elite, you know, anointed leaders. Anointed is the word I would use. I, and, and so, But I don't want you to hear that and think that I'm saying there aren't anointed people. There, there are. There are people that, that have a, a special uh, calling, gifting. Um, but there's also the two kinds of people are anointed and kingdom. And it's not an either or. It's not that one's better than the other. But what I think is if we primarily think of the work of ministry, doing the things that Jesus did, healing, uh, raising the dead, casting out demons, setting people free from addiction, if we think of those things primarily in the terms of the anointed need to do those things. Because we think, oh, yeah, you know, you need the power of God to do that. And so that's for the anointed people. It's going to leave a lot of us out. But if we think of it in terms of kingdom people, it suddenly opens the door that we can all participate. And it doesn't mean that there's not anointed people. There there are people that have special calls, special giftings. But when God calls us as his people to participate in his kingdom ministry, he's just looking for yielded vessels. Kingdom people. We can all be kingdom people. And that's what I love about the way uh, that our, uh, if I can use this phrase, philosophy of ministry. You know, so there's theology. There's like what we believe. And then there's our philosophy of ministry. Well, that's something us as a vineyard, you know, we have a philosophy of ministry. And I don't think that our philosophy of ministry is compatible with only having anointed people do the work of the ministry. We believe in a thing, to use the, the, the biblical language, the priesthood of all believers. In other words, again, just reinforcing that, we're all called, we're all invited, we're all uh, capable of participating in this kingdom work. And again, as I started to touch on, this informs our values for women in ministry, for kids and youth. I want to talk about kids and youth for a minute because this is really a really important area. Us, our, our uh, leadership team here at Vineyard Peoria has been uh, praying about and sensing over the last number of months a, a renewed emphasis. It's not something that's new that we suddenly decided to take a right turn, but we felt a prompting from the Spirit to... Uh, renew or re-energize or refocus on our value for kids and youth. Because it's really important that we make space. And I thought this was interesting. Uh, I was reading uh, an example from one of the Vineyard National, uh, Vineyard National Youth Leaders, if I can get all the terms right in my head. And she was talking about, said, if you think of this in terms of a sports team, how frustrating would it be for you as a parent to sit on the sideline of a football game, for instance, 
and see every student lined up on the bench and all the coaches are out on the field saying, we're going to show you how it's done. And maybe someday when you're older, you know, you can figure... But, but for this season, we're, we're just going to try to show you how it's done. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But do we often do the same thing in the church? Do we say, you know, we, we, we love you, we're glad that you're here, but you sit over here and watch for a while... And then when you get a little older, a little more mature, you know, well, the reality is, friends, if we don't make space for them now, they're not going to be here when they get older. If we don't show them that they're important and valued and have a place, they're not going to stick around. And so I'm just renewing that call to us as a church. And like I said, this is something our, our leaders have been sensing. We need to pray for our kids and our youth, and we need to make space for them. We need to invite them to participate in ministry. I thought this was so fascinating. You know, when, when we hear the debates about uh, women in ministry, it's often phrased as, you know, well, for those of us who believe in fully empowering and not oppressing women, it, it's often phrased as, well, we don't want to sideline, you know, like 50% of the church. Did you realize that one out of every four people in the world today is under 14? That's almost a third of, of, again, of the people that we have available. Do we want to sideline them and try to do this thing on our own? No, I think it actually takes everybody. We'll, we'll read a little bit later the, the story about the, the fields that are white to harvest. And it's like, if there's that much work to do, I think we need all the workers we can get. Okay, moving on. If everyone gets to play... Like, if we really believe this, everyone gets to play, then everyone deserves the opportunity to be trained. And, and this is really important for us, especially this local church, because I, I, from, from the very beginning, this church has always been one that had a, an emphasis on training, on giving people the tools to do the things that we're talking about. So, you know, I, I can't accomplish that just here on, on a Sunday morning. I can't, I can't like, t- nor does it need to, again, all come through me because it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not it. You know, I'm not, I'm not the holy man. This is why we have a value for classes, for training opportunities, for small groups. We need contexts where we can be trained, we can learn just as iron sharpens iron, rubbing elbows with each other, discussing, sharing. But it's a value for us that we want to offer, let me illustrate it this way. Now, I'm not a carpenter. Uh, But if you you come up to me and said, hey, would you build me a chest, you know, like a hope chest or something? And it's like, sure. Uh, And I don't own any tools. I'm probably not going to be real successful building that chest. Aside from the fact that maybe I don't have the plans or the experience but it's like, but if I don't even have the tools and the materials, there's no way it's going to happen. The same is true in the kingdom. We need God's help and empowerment, but we also need the tools. We need to have things. I, I say that sometimes when we're talking about activating you or practicing different like ministry skills. It's like, this is just another tool for your tool belt. This is another way to approach it. This is another way that you can participate Uh, in the kingdom. Now, I do want to just mention, because for some people, when we start hammering this, everyone gets to play. 
Uh, for some people, there can be a little bit of a resistance because it can be misinterpreted as, well, everybody needs to do what I do. Everyone needs to become a pastor or a missionary. Uh, and granted, we, we need more of those. But just because everyone gets to play doesn't mean everyone needs to lead. Right? It's that same example of the football team. It's like we don't need a field full of leaders. Because if the players are all sitting on the sideline, who are they really leading? So not everyone needs to lead. Now, everyone has a level of, of leadership. I've told you this before. You have influence over people in your, in your sphere, in your life. So everybody has that level of leadership. But not, in order to participate in the kingdom doesn't mean you have to become a professional. That, that's, that's my point. Not everyone needs to lead at that level. All right. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and jump with me to Ephesians 4. And I didn't put all of these. I put the main text up there, but I'm going to actually back up and read a little bit uh, beforehand. So, Ben, you'll just catch me when we get to verse 11. But if you've got a Bible or a Bible device, uh, I'm reading from New Living. Let's go to Ephesians 4. And if you don't have one, just, just sit and just, just listen. I'm just going to start in the first verse, and then we'll catch up to 11 and 12 here in a minute. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. How many of us need to do that every day? Yeah. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However... He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, I'm going to point this out again. Each one of us. Does that leave anybody out? No. The generosity of Jesus is I have gifts for everyone. So again, no matter how you identify yourself, where you fall on the spectrum of religious fervor or how you live your life, God has a gift for you. And it's especially designed for who he made you to be. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives, excuse me, and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. So this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And this is just pointing out that, that he is God. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, just before we get to 11, this is God's task. You know, we say things like his words are life. The power is in his presence. You know, we think, again, thinking forward to what we expect to experience in heaven. Like, that is God's big purpose, is to redeem his people so that those things which we have tasted of 
can actually uh, pervade all over the earth. That goodness and mercy and kindness and all the things that exist in his presence uh, can, can be expanded. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, and, and, and you can just sort of paraphrase that as, these are the types of people that God has put in the church to help lead. It's not saying that this is the special group of, of people that are better than everybody else. Or these are the people that are to... No, what does it say next? Their responsibility is to equip God's people, which is all of us, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Now, we're going to talk next week more specifically about equipping the saints, which is another one of our our distinctives. But this is directly connected to everyone gets to play. Because what it's saying here is the pastors and teachers and the prophets and all those people are not the ones that have to go and do the work of ministry just on behalf of all of us. No, it's the job of the leaders to equip every person to participate, to give you the tools for your tool belt, to give you the encouragement, to connect you, to walk with you so that we can all do this, so that we can all step into situations and have that that moment of Holy Spirit-inspired clarity where you realize, I've just walked into a problem situation or, or a tense atmosphere, and then Holy Spirit whispers, but you also carrying the answer. You've shown up because you carry the one who has all the answers. And that's a totally different mindset. You know, if you walk into a room, does the, does the, if I can use this sort of analogy, does the temperature get, get better or worse? Right? This is what we're called to, is to actually bring solutions, to carry all the things that exist in the atmosphere of the kingdom or heaven and, and simply by showing up begin to infuse that into the atmosphere. That's the work of ministry, is to do the same thing that Jesus announced that he had come to do. If we're to continue his ministry, he said, I've, I've come to set free the captives. I've come to preach the good news to the poor. I've come to heal and deliver. So that means when you show up, that's what you've come for. And and I know we I keep going back and forth because for some of us, this whole idea is just utterly intimidating. I can't do that stuff, right? And you're right, you can't. But Jesus wants to do it through you. And nothing about the way that you're made or your personality or your life experiences or even your mistakes are going to disqualify you from being able to participate in that work and in that ministry. As a matter of fact, it's actually a crucial piece of your own journey of healing and becoming more like Jesus that you be willing to step out. Wimber used to say, never trust a leader without a limp. In other words, don't look at the people. <laughs> There's a lot of nonverbal communication going on here. 
It doesn't have to be physical. You don't literally have to put a boot on your foot and hobble around. His point was that the ones who try to pretend... uh, Sorry, a phrase that's maybe not the most appropriate to share is the one that comes to mind. Those that think they, or, or maybe don't think, but try to act like they have it all together. They don't have any problems. They've got it figured out, you know, and that's what qualifies them are not usually the ones that are real effective. But when we can show up, as one pastor used to say, here I am, God, warts and all, God can use that. You're not disqualified. And and, and let me take this a step farther. I have seen time and time again when I'm struggling, and let's just use sickness as an example because it's it's tangible, it's easy to get a hold of. I have seen time and time again where something that I'm dealing with, I'm struggling with, and I'm, I'm praying and asking God, you know, I'd like to step into healing, you know, help me, help me. And yet, He's called me more than once to pray for someone else who has the same problem and they get healed. And in the moment, I don't. We've got to be willing to do that because sometimes, again, God's purpose is to mold you and shape you. Now, he's not making you sick. He's not the author of that. He's not doling that out. But one of the beautiful ways that he's going to take what the enemy intended for destruction and make it beautiful is... You say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that to help you be more dependent on me. And I'm going to teach you that you don't get to disqualify yourself because you've got to hang up. I can still work through you to reach my other kids. And in that, build your faith. And teach you, you know, Jesus wasn't immune to suffering. We, we know that, right? Like, just read the stories uh, uh, of leading up to the cross. Like he was not immune to suffering. And so while I don't at all believe that God like sends us those things or, or you know, so, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this to, he can use it. He can use suffering. And it's just as, just as crucial as it is that we learn how to operate in participating in his healing ministry is learning how do we not stop and give up when we're suffering. How do we still believe that he's good and that he can still work through me, even though I don't have my answer? Because as I've told you before, if there's a disconnect between how I see a situation and, and what he sees, the problem's not on his end, right? So if, if, my, if my theology and my reality don't, don't match up, it, it's, it's, I'm the one that needs to get adjusted, Right? And sometimes in the midst of that process, God is going to do things to you that he couldn't do if you never had a problem. Okay, we're starting to go off in a different direction. I want to simplify this. We talk about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And you know we, I mean, hopefully you know we are passionate about that here. And and we're planning, you know, the, the further we go, because uh, a lot of things that we used to have a regular rhythm of, you know, sort of uh, diminished through the COVID season and transitions, and we're starting to re-engage with those things. I want to simplify equipping the saints for the work of ministry 
at its lowest and simplest level is training ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And again, I, I hope you're getting the picture that, that part of what this is about is like lowering the bar. You feel like, again, like, well, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not at that level. Jesus doesn't require that. He, he wants to get you there. He, he wants to move you in that direction, but you don't have to do that and then. It's a both end. Jesus wants to change you, transform you, grow you in character and gifting, and use you just how you are right now, and work through you exactly where you're at in your life situation right now. And so hopefully that's, again, that's good news, because I'd say most of us, Probably identify as ordinary people, right? But ordinary people can be trained to do extraordinary things. Let's look at one more scripture before we wrap up. Uh, The first two verses of Luke 10. Now the Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. Again, that's that commissioning. He gave them a task, a place, he sent them. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Ask him. But don't hesitate to answer if he points his finger at you. Right? Because that's the invitation. We're all called. We're all invited If we can just break it down one more time, and we say everyone gets to play, everyone means everyone gets to. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's an invitation. And gets to not only, uh, you know, is a wide net, but also means you're able to. You get to in that If you accept that invitation, if you say yes to Jesus, if you just take that first step towards him, you get to do it because he's going to enable you to do it. To play. To begin to see and understand and learn what it's like to live this kingdom lifestyle in a way (coughs) that oftentimes feels more like play than work. And, and part of that is realizing more and more every day, it's his work. He wants to use us. And so if, if I can distill everything down and simply say, my job is to be a yielded vessel. If I can do that, he's going to do the rest. If I can be a yielded vessel is obedient. And so God's going to do the speaking. He's going to do the arranging, the guiding, the strategizing, the figuring out. And then he's going to speak to me. We believe that God still speaks and that everyone in this room can hear in the different ways that he speaks. So I just need to yield myself. We used to say, before he even asks the question, my answer is yes. That's what yielded means. I'm yielded. I am at your beck and call, Lord. I I am here for you. I'm ready. I'm willing. And when you do that, he's going to guide you into things that don't make sense. And you know what's fun about that? When he shows up and does it, you'll be like, yep, there's no way I would have gotten here. I would have done it that way. 
But when you see the life-changing fruit that results from it, (laughs) there is nothing more fun anywhere in any corner of this earth than yielding yourself to Jesus, watching him work through you. And and I'll give you a a secret. A lot of times other people are going to look and think, well, that's just because you're a little smarter, you're a little slicker. And you don't even have to explain it to them, but you know. You know where your capabilities ended and where his where his took over. I've had worship leaders tell me this. You know, it's like something happened. Oh, that worship was incredible. You know, it was it was just awesome. It was thick. You know, and it's like again, they don't need to go around explaining that, but they know. I know. I mean, I can say that. You know, being a former worship leader, I know there are moments where. I know where my my natural abilities end. Like my voice can't hit that note, but we went there. You know, or whatever it is. That does something for you. It's actually fun. Because what hap- begins to happen as you train yourself in this and allow the Lord to lead you is more and more when you encounter impossible things. <laughs> now, people look at us and think we're crazy. You get a little bit excited. You think, okay, Lord, I'm excited to see what are you going to do this time? How are you going to meet this need? How are you going to use me? What, because, I, I mean, I, I, it happens every time. He comes up with something better than what I could think of, right? Like when I default back to my playbook and just try to do my strategy, I mean, there's some percentage of the time that it works. But when I yield to him and go with his strategy... It's way more fun. All right, are you ready to sign up?